Proudly Asian, a podcast series that tells bold and proud stories of Asians by Asians. I'm Isabel Wong, a financial journalist who wants to uncover the many Asian stories around us that are waiting to be told. There's never just one way to look at Asians. This podcast will take you through a deep dive into the life stories, struggles, and triumphs of young Asians around the world. On today's episode, we have wellness entrepreneur Yinky Wong. Born and raised in Hong Kong, she's the founder of Yinky Wellness, where she specializes in self-love and empowerment coaching and sound and energy healing. She will be talking to us about the power of being soft and feminine, intergenerational trauma and mental health in Asian communities. Welcome to Proud the Asian Yinky. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us for this episode. Oh, thank you for having me. It's an honor. Yeah, it's a great pleasure to have you because I still remember when I was brainstorming for、um, episodes to be produced for International Women's Day Month. I was basically thinking I must get a life coach, a wellness practitioner, to give us perspectives in terms of the power in being soft and the power of being feminine. And I remember a while ago, it, maybe it was around last year, I came across your profile, and I I don't know why, like I was just so intrigued by the content that you were putting out. And I remember you were also touching on some of the topics that I'm really interested in talking about. So I was so glad when I think it was last month you messaged me and you told me you knew about Proudly Asian. And I remember replying to you just saying I was just about to reach out to you and see if you would like to be one of my guests. Wow, I love all the synchronicities. <laughs> it's just it's meant to be. <laughs> yes, yes, I agree. But to kickstart the conversation, I think. Our listeners would like to know a little bit more about your background. So, why don't we start with the questions that I always ask my guests:、um, Who are you? What are you? And where did you grow up? Yeah, sure. Yeah, thank you for for holding space for this. And you know, I think the reason why I reached out was I felt the work that you were doing is so important. So, thank you, firstly. And a bit about myself. So my name is Yinki Nicole Wong. I was born and raised in Hong Kong, and then I lived in New York and even Madrid and London before coming back. And I am all about Yin energy. So what we're talking about about femininity, about being soft. I think I am just born Yin. <laughs> it's in my name. It's in my qualities. I am a firm believer of balance, and I think what I've been seeing is that there's a lot of yang energy. So I think a lot of you know, not to presuppose that people know, but I think from Chinese culture we talk a lot about yin and yang, and I think that as a culture we often discredit yin. That we think that oh, you know, it's weak, it's lazy. You know, rest is not productive, but actually, we just need so much of this balance. And I, yeah, I feel like for me, these are the times that I've been able to really grow when I invest in this yin part. And this is what led me to my journey and my work now, being a holistic health practitioner, 
and also coming into sound healing and coaching. Mm. It's quite a journey because I know previously you did not just start off as a wellness practitioner. You you had a previous career, which we will get into a little bit more when we talk about um, the journey that led you into starting this wellness practice. But just you mentioned you were born and raised in Hong Kong and obviously lived in a lot of cities. But I assume that you grew up in a Cantonese household. Is that correct? Yes. So what was the experience like for you growing up in a Cantonese household? Mm, It was definitely not easy. There were many expectations of, I guess, what I should be, what kind of career I should pursue, how I should behave. And I think from a really young age, I actually really prized myself on being really obedient because I think that's what a lot of Asian parents or Chinese parents really like, you know. And I think that throughout my adolescence, I've always been trying to come into my own, but there was such a fear of not wanting to be singled out. So I blended in a lot. I didn't speak up. I was really shy And I think for the most part, being able to choose my education and that path outside of high school, that was really important to me. And I think my parents were like, you know, the typical Asian just recommending me, why don't you consider law or engineering? And and I think every, every you know, person who's had the similar experience is like, yep, yep, yep. <laughs> but I fought, you know, I fought to leave Hong Kong. I, I, I knew that I wanted to pursue a liberal arts education. And there definitely is such immense privilege for me being able to do that. But I felt that I wanted to learn in a setting where there was a lot more flexibility and that I could still really um, be academic. And I think that's been really tough in that school. You know, it, it is academia, but then there's a whole part where they're actually molding you into a person or this kind of like product. And it just makes me think a lot of what Sir Ken Robinson says about schools killing creativity mm-hmm. in that, you know, we are educating people out of their creative capacities And instead of growing into that creativity, we grow out of it, or rather we get educated out of it. And so I think there's been a lot of me needing to stand up for myself and choose what felt most authentic to me. Um, And definitely, you know, not to discredit or discount education at all, because I love learning. I love reading. I love researching. And... I think for me, it's more about allowing adolescents to come into their own without having so much pressure of taking a test, right? Mm. Or the pressure of achieving grades at the expense of your mental health, which I know that in this day and age, there is definitely a lot more emphasis, but it's kind of like we're, I think we're doing it because we're at a breaking point and I wish that people would value prevention more than solution more. And I wish that I had more resources growing up 
Um, so I think that that is my my childhood and adolescence growing up in Hong Kong. But you know, as tough as my parents were, I'm I'm grateful for them. It's always like a bit of a kind of like a uh, I don't know, like a push. <laughs> like me pushing them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I can imagine there would be a lot of. Asian listeners, particularly around the world, who could kind of relate to the experience that you just mentioned there, because we all went through having Asian parents, and a lot of the times the expectations coming from them and the pressure are quite similar. And I, I also like how you specifically mentioned your experience related to education, and you were mentioning how a lot of the times schools were really trying to create students according to a certain a certain set of standards, putting Them into like molds because I think it's only until recently when schools might celebrate diversity a little bit more or like even talk about the concept of mental health. But I think back in the day, even for myself in middle school, no one would actually care about the concept of mental health or like if I would have to go see a. Counselor regularly, like people would be labeling me as a problem student. So I definitely appreciate the normalization of mental health a little bit more these days. So it seems to be a little bit easier on school kids as well because, quite frankly, being a teenager back then really sucked. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I hear you on that, and I had a really, yeah, I'm you know really sorry to hear about your experience, and I unfortunately have to say that's something very similar to what I experienced, and I just wish that this wasn't the norm. Um, like you know, gladly that there has been shifts and changes, but yeah, I just remember <clears throat> at my school we had kind of like a counselor's office, but it was in a specific nook. And you just can see anyone who's going in and out of that room. So you're you're not gonna want to go in there if you know that people are watching you and seeing like, oh, this person went into the counselor office. It's just it just deters you a lot more. Mm -hmm. So I completely hear you on. Yeah, I think you know what we're doing here. Even just talking about this is so important too. And just knowing that this is, yeah, just being made to feel that what only mattered were our grades. I think that is very detrimental, very dangerous, and just I think it's been so harmful. You know, so 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 harmful. Yeah, definitely. I could. I mean, I agree that the school environment itself could be quite harsh to teenagers because at one point they have to deal with parents and teachers' expectations while trying to fit in and trying to, you know, get along with their fellow classmates and not look. Uncool,、um, but at the same time, they're also trying to figure out who they are. So it's it's、mm -hmm. immense pressure on teenagers. But we could talk more about how young people could cope or be more aware and heal from those、um, situations later on. But、mm -hmm. now I would like to talk a little bit more about the work that you are currently doing because I think our listeners would like to know exactly what kind of services you are doing right now and what is Yinky Wellness. Yeah, sure. So my Chinese name is actually Yinky, and for the most part of my life, I actually went、um, by Nicole. But I think just with these few years, I decided that I wanted to honor my culture a lot more, and that's why I chose the name Yinky. Firstly, and generally, Yinky Wellness and Coaching is a wellness brand that provides support, accountability, and relief for stressed out busybodies. And I use a 
a few different holistic healing modalities, and these include sound healing therapy, which we will get a demo of later. I use empowerment coaching, which is something that has been incredibly um, just profound and phenomenal for me because I'm able to level up and shift my own mindset and also Akashic wisdom readings. And this is something that is very, very spiritual and not everyone's cup of tea, but these are the three main things that have impacted my life in a very positive way. And a lot of what I'm doing now is to share and give back the things that I've learned and hoping that these can resonate with other people too and offering personalized experience to help alleviate stress, to help one be in touch with their values and alignments and their passions and to step into the person that they were literally birthed on this earth to be and bringing them back to their wholeness. Um, a huge philosophy of mine is that we are all innately and inherently born whole, but we just forget because of so many things that are happening to us, within us. Um, there's so much noise that gets in the way of who we are, who we truly who we truly authentically are at the core. And so, yeah, I think for me, it was important to start this business. It felt like a life calling and a true passion. And a fun fact is that yin, as we talked about earlier, stands for yin energy. So the balance of yin and yang. And qi is like qi, if um, Chinese listeners understand this, which is which means universal life force and ki is the Japanese version of it. So when we hear rei ki, ki is energy. And so I love that even in my name that I was born with, it literally means yin energy. So this is what I want to share. It's beautiful. I mean, you're meant to be doing what you're doing, yin ki. <laughs> Yeah. And <laughs> yeah, you. I mean, obviously what you just mentioned there, some of the listeners for Proudly Asian might still not be too familiar with the concept or the meanings of those, which we will get into a bit later. And of course, for everyone, there's got to be a start in terms of their spiritual and wellness journey. So I know you briefly mentioned that, but then how did the journey of spiritual wellness begin for you? Yeah, definitely. It would, uh, for sure, would say it was my poor mental health. I had experienced depression and it definitely came kind of towards the end of high school, but I definitely didn't, I wasn't aware of it. And again, as we we're talking about mental health, like no one really talked about it. You know, everyone was kind of obsessed with like being fit for grad trip and no one was talking about, oh, you know, like these exams are really, really messing with what's going on in my mind. So I think it was a lot of accumulated stress and it definitely manifested through my body. I was ill a lot. I, you know, just didn't have as much energy. It was sometimes hard to get out of bed. And I luckily, with the support of my parents, sought clinical help. So, you know, we'll never deny the power of clinical help. But I personally wanted to also 
be in charge of my own healing. And healing back then was just like to get rid of this depression, you know, it wasn't this journey of like, um, moving into alignment and self-love. I was like, back then I was like, oh, that's like all like fluff, (laughs) (laughs) you know, like I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it was, I think, you know, experiencing this depression, it definitely isn't easy and wasn't easy to talk about, but now I always think of it as this life defining moment for me that made me take a hard look at what's going on and to really introduce radical self-care. So, and I think a part of self-care is just really understanding these concepts of being well. Like, I just love being well. I love having energy. I love being able to do what I love. You know, this is is wellness to me. Um, Self-love, you know, being able to talk to myself when I'm sad and not being like, oh, you, you know, bad word, bad word, bad word, but just be like, okay, you know, you, it's okay. Things didn't go as we planned, but you are safe. You are healthy, you know? And that's like the best way to move forward because I think I definitely used to beat myself up a lot. Um, And yeah, so I would say a lot of this just propelled me into diving into spirituality and for me, a huge part of being spiritual is actually being brave and having the courage every day to choose love over fear. And that is insanely spiritual for me Mm. Um, because I didn't understand that before. And I think a lot of what I did was always in the choice of fear, you know, being fearful of like, okay, what will other people think of me? fearful of you know um what if I fail you know always just like oh what if this isn't safe what if I took a risk there's a lot of fear there and so the more spiritual I've become it's actually diving deeper into bravery and it's opened me up to understanding religion more Mm. and I think this is really important especially in this age of new age where there are people who are picking and choosing. But I think especially being Asian, it's, uh, oh yeah, it's a huge part of honoring my own culture, honoring Chinese culture, um, acknowledging the traditions of Chinese Buddhism, Zen Buddhism, um, instead of basically, yeah, bypassing Mm. these important concepts that a lot of people talk about, you know, just with meditation and yoga, but are just wanting to really pay homage to our ancestors and the beauty and the wisdom and the knowledge they've passed on to us. Yeah, I got to, I mean, I I got to agree with you, you know, as I become more aware of what spiritual wellness means, I'm by no means an expert, but I only started exploring spirituality and spiritual wellness since maybe around two years ago, which was the beginning of the pandemic. I think that was when a lot of people started to get to know more about how to really breathe, how to meditate, Mm -hmm. because I used to be a person who would declare yoga is not for me. I can't do meditation. Mm. I'm too impatient for that. I went from that to this point where right now, I I wouldn't say I'm an expert in that, but now I can actually sit down to meditate. And like you mentioned, to cope with fear, a lot of the times it's Mm. kind of based on the understanding of things happen for us, not 
to us. So um, that is one piece of wisdom that really stuck with me. And I gotta say it has helped me a lot. But I think going back to your response earlier, and also throughout our conversation, I was deeply touched by the statement that you mentioned, these days, what you're trying to do is also trying to show up as a person that you wish you had. But for listeners who don't understand so much about spiritual wellness, I'm going to play the devil's mm-hmm. advocate here um, by asking, I mean, some skeptics or people who have no idea about what this is, they might say when they are trying to go for energy healing or going for these meditation sessions, they don't feel anything or they don't feel like they are healing. So can you explain to our listeners, what does it mean by healing? And how do we know if these sessions that we're attending are working or not? Yeah, definitely. Thank you for that. It's a really important question and one that I also grapple with and especially at the beginning of my of my journey as well. Um, For me now, what I have to share is that everything is energy. You know, even when we go back to science, and physics, especially, we know that everything is energy, everything is vibration, as Einstein says. And I have this really amazing kinesiologist, her name is Pauline Chan, and she shared with me that energy is like Wi-Fi. Just because you cannot see it or feel it, it doesn't mean that it's not there. And I totally understand if you're not at this you know, at the space. And I just want to share with those listeners, it's okay too, you know, and I don't, I'm not trying to make anyone, I'm not trying to force my own ideals on anyone. And I think for me, it was that when I started believing in energy was when I started to just connect with myself, to connect with my own intuition and gut and because a, a lot of the times it's said that our gut is like our second brain. And that's been so true for me. Like growing up, I had really horrible IBS and just so many stomach issues. And a lot of it actually had to do with confidence. A lot of it had to do with not trusting myself. And actually, when I started practicing more of these modalities of energy healing, I have had less stomach aches, like really, you know, but this is my own journey. And I personally just feel that we have been really or we were made to be disconnected from our intuitions and emotions. And there's so much of this rhetoric of, oh, if it's not scientific, it cannot be real. Well, what I love that is actually very scientific is that we are all made of and from the stars, right? Like each kind of atom and each um, element that composes our bodies are literally a star that went supernova. So I, I understand for sure. And I'm just trying to honor what my ancestors passed on just a lot of these ancestral ways that we've been practicing like Taoism and traditional Chinese medicine and qigong and tai chi and I've been 
actually really learning Tai Chi. And this is something, you know, I saw my dad do and I was like, oh, those old person's movement or <laughs> like, it's not cool. Like, <laughs> you know, but I think the more I do it, I'm like, wow, you know, like just from these seemingly simple moves, I can feel heat in my hands. I can feel heat in my stomach. And a lot of it is listening. A lot of it is stillness. And a lot of it is trust. Um, and for sure, not not say, telling anyone to have blind faith, but just to, you know, for those people who are a bit skeptical, I invite them to find a, a quiet room, sit with themselves. And sure, this is meditating, but to listen to the own vibrations in their own body, you know, to listen to your own heart beating, to listen to your own breath. And if this is an energy, I don't know what is, mm -hmm. you know, if your heart isn't beating when you're still sleeping, like I don't, you know, that for me is energy. Mm, yeah, for sure. I mean, in terms of listening to myself and following that little voice of mine, have been something that I've been trying to practice as well. And I must say, when I allowed myself to just follow my heart and to just go with the flow, I actually feel much, much better and more aligned. Mm. And um, not sure how to describe it, but it's the feeling of having done something right for myself. Mm -hmm. So I guess for those who are a bit skeptical about like spiritual wellness or even the practices of like meditation or all that we just mentioned there, my tip for them would be, hey, if it works, it works. <laughs> mm. I mean, it worked for me, yeah. but definitely I would encourage everyone to go on a journey to explore what really works for them because sometimes it might surprise them. Yeah, I, I really love what you said about that, about the heart. You know, it's a feeling, right? Like when you're in love, there's no science, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> sure there's matchmaking. and <laughs> But at the end of the day, there's no science to falling in love, right? Like yeah. these are things that are inherent. These are feelings that we have. And I think for me, what I've just been understanding is that the framework of science is evolving and changing over time. Mm. You know, just like how back in the day, we thought that the earth was flat. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, That's true. And, and nowadays it's a really different framework that we have to work upon. And so I think for me, it's not, you know, to not kind of to think in absolutes, like not to think in black and white, like this is scientific, this isn't. Because I think, you know, just studying all these really great scientists, a lot of them were actually very spiritual. Mm. A lot of them were religious because a lot of them just had an inkling. Like there's still so many things that science just isn't able to explain. And, you know, just looking at nature, just how incredible it is, how intricate it is, how the design, like the design, you know, of leaves and ecosystems, it's just also incredible. So yeah, for those who are skeptical, I hear you, I hold space for you and it's, it's okay. You know, you, you don't have to, you don't have to believe. Yeah. Or I, I think, think yeah. maybe um, when the time is right, that's when they would begin to understand. Just like myself, maybe 10 years ago, I would say meditation is mm. not for me, but now I feel like my life depends on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I hear I'm exactly the same way. And you know, for some people it might take 
lifetimes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Some people, you know, in a few years and everyone has their own timeline. Yeah, exactly. But obviously, it goes back to the topic that I mentioned I wanted to ask you about, which is the power of being soft and being feminine. Because in Asian cultures, softness and being feminine or appearing to be feminine are often seen as signs of weaknesses, right? Mm -hmm. But most spiritual wellness practitioners would actually celebrate embracing being feminine. So what's your take on this? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think these are the times where I actually look to Kuan Yin, you know, the goddess of compassion, and she is soft, she is feminine, but she is so strong. And we see, you know, those, the, these in, in the Qishan monastery, you know, all these monasteries, like we see her, we, she's standing so tall, she's so bold, she's so beautiful. And that's what I aspire to be. And that's where I, I am most inspired by she is or yeah this goddess is like someone who I really admire and there is so much beauty and rest you know and and like as humans be sleeping is yin you know and we can't we can't live if we don't sleep right and for me it's a lot about balance um and for me softness is about finding the grace to manage situations and these are the people that I admire the most and just realizing we can be bold we can be assertive but we don't have to yell um, I learned that from an amazing Filipina healer her name is Melissa Baryang I wanted to give credit and um yeah it's 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 a journey of understanding like how powerful softness is but Oh, we can just take water, right? Mm. You know, just a drop of it, seemingly harmless, right? But when you have a whole body of it, it's an ocean. It can be a tsunami. Um, so I think for me, I'm trying my best to study and research more feminine societies like matriarchal societies because i would say that in this day and age we're in we're living in a very patriarchal society where a lot of the world leaders are men um a lot of the times it feels like um male male authorities are given a voice over women and for sure that is changing which is amazing um but there's still progress to be made and i would just love to have balance and equality mm. because how come you know there are so many things that we are well women are barred from doing and it's not because we cannot do it it's just a societal thing right yeah i agree with you and next up, I would like to also talk about sound healing because obviously you're also a certified sound practitioner. So again, for our listeners who might not be so familiar with the concept of sound healing, could you tell us what exactly it is? Sure. So sound healing is the use of sacred instruments to create vibrations that actually shifts our brainwave states. So sound going back to energy sound is energy and it is vibration and for me this is kind of like the perfect modality because it's all about yin it's about being passive because usually when you experience it one is recommended to be as still as possible 
And yeah, for those who are unfamiliar, there's actually a lot of scientific research about how um, when we experience sound healing, this is able to shift our nervous system to say on a daily basis, we're always, we're mostly in fight or flight mode or doing mode. Um, and this is called the beta brainwave state where we're doing and thinking and planning. And when you just close your eyes, slow down and experience the sound waves, it helps to shift your brainwave states into the alpha state, which is like light relaxation. Like when you're at the beach, you're really relaxed, um, but you're still aware. And then it goes to theta and theta is the state of rapid eye movement sleep. Um, so it's pretty incredible in that, you know, someone can experience a 50 minute to one hour session and feel rejuvenated as you would through cycles of REM sleep at night. And there's just so much in addition to brainwave states. It's about the water molecules in our body. And I specialize in crystal singing bowls. Um, maybe some people have seen the Tibetan ones, so they're made of metal. But the ones that I use are made of 99% pure quartz. And they cost, they're very costly. They cost around at least 10,000 Hong Kong to between to 20,000 Hong Kong because of how pure the material is and they're blended with different gems and minerals as well. And again, you know, for people who are just, you know, unfamiliar with crystals as well, that's okay. But it's just amazing that once I start to play them, it's sound you can hear, it's vibration you can feel. Um, for those who are like, oh, you know, crystals don't do anything. That's okay. But like the crystal bowl, you know, when you play it, there's a sound. Mm. It's almost like when you are tracing your finger around a glass uh, cup filled with water, you can hear the sound and you can see the water inside the cup start to vibrate, right? It starts to shift. And what's so cool is that because our bodies are made of 70% water, these crystal singing bowls are actually helping to align the molecules inside our body as well. Mm. So there's, yeah, there's so much. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think so far I only attended maybe two to three physical singing bowl or Tibetan singing bowl or gong sound baths. And I must say those experiences felt like such a luxury. Mm. And I still remember um, there was... One time when I was working out at home, it was during COVID as well. And at one point I just got so exhausted and I had this like headache mm. going on and I just kind of decided to switch on a YouTube video where someone was doing yeah. a crystal sound bath. And um, I sort of fell asleep for maybe 10 minutes. And when I woke up, my headache just went away. And I was like, wow, wow. that was magical. <laughs> wow, that's incredible. Wow. Well, thank you for sharing that. That's really amazing to hear. And yeah, it's just, you know, these 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 bowls are so incredible, right? Like they're at the end of the day, they are bowls. But the the power and the magic that they have and you know, in addition to the science, it's just it's just like it for me, I think I'm able to really listen to what's going on inside and I personally seek I, like I sought sound healing in the beginning for my own healing like when I'm going through something really emotional 
it's not, you know, not, I'm not going to take a Panadol. Like I'm not going to, my, the Panadol is not going to make my tears, you know, it's not going <laughs> to help me process. Like it might numb the pain of it, you know, but for me, like, this is a beautiful way for me to process what's going on inside to redirect some of that energy because these vibrations, when they're like parsing through your body, you can imagine it like waves going through the body, right? And um, just with any energy healing, it's all about releasing anything that doesn't serve you mm -hmm. and coming back to your center, coming back to your heart space, aligning. And yeah, I just remember having a client who said, you know, after a session with me, she was like, wow, Yinky, this is the first time I feel like I've met my own soul. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So this is, yeah, just, yeah, incredible effects. So for beginners who might be looking into experiencing the healing power of sound bath and sound healing, how would you advise them to get started? Like maybe how many times during a week they should have this kind of session, which would be sort of like easier or best mm. for them to feel the benefits? Yeah, so I think what is most common are the group sessions where people go in, you know, you experience sound healing with um, different people. And while those are great, I think the the thing is that you are in a room with a lot of different people's energies. So, mm. pers you know, some people prefer to do it one-on-one. -on -one. And I have clients who like that because they're able to move through, say they're, they're going through a breakup, right? Or they're not able to sleep. And what I recommend is actually at least four sessions. So at least once a week, um, if you're going through something quite tough like that, or like grief, you know, just needing that healing in that way, um, so that you can like see each week how your body is receiving it, because it's always like the first time when someone receives it, especially in person, it can be quite um foreign because your body is like whoa what's going on what what are these vibrations like we're just not used to it right mm. and the vibrations that we are used to unfortunately are kind of like city noise or construction noise um so that is something i would recommend for someone who is you know going through something quite tough but if you're interested and just intrigued you know like for me i try my best to do kind of like a one month reset you know, it doesn't have to be like a, a daily thing. But for me, just to have that one time a month to help reset and release everything that I've been storing up inside. And it's just good, like I'm able to cry or I'm able to just be. And there's, again, going back to the yin energy, we don't intentionally make enough time to be aside from sleep, but we sleep because we are so exhausted that we do it. Mm. <laughs> you know, like it's, it's not like we intend, I think, you know, that's the beauty of meditation as well. And there's some overlap for sure between like sound healing and meditation. But I think for me, sound healing takes it another step further. Um, it's a, it's an external influence, you know, of the vibrations coming in, but it's for me, it's just so aligning. Mm. And so this is what, yeah, I would recommend to people who are intrigued. 
Yeah, it's nothing foreign, to be honest. I would kind of simply describe it as maybe sort of like an immersive musical experience because sometimes when people mm. are looking to relax, they go to music as well, right? So yeah. I think in a way, it's kind of musical. Yeah, definitely. And there's you can play bowls that work in harmony with each other. And that's what I love as well about sound healing. Like you can really tailor it to a specific purpose, like different chords, right? And say, if you just want more harmony and alignment and peace, then you seek like a certain set of bowls. But there's also bowls that might not sound like, say, you know, if you put two notes together that usually do not harmonize very well, mm. but this actually helps to release any stuck energy in a more efficient way. So I love that these are just, yeah, there's so many different ways to approach sound healing and it's 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 really awesome for me, at least for emotional release. That's magical. And I know our listeners will be able to experience that later on during the episode. But Yinki, as part of your practice, you also do empowerment life coaching. So mm -hmm. what does that mean? And how can people really benefit from it, especially during this time? Firstly, coaching has helped me so much to shift my own mindset and how I define empowerment life coaching is that you are doing things differently than you've ever done before. Because I think most of us, aside from even when school, you know, we have one teacher to maybe like 10 students, mm -hmm. but it's quite rare that we have one person who is actually dedicating their time and their energy into checking in with you um, throughout a course. And so for me, life coaching has helped me to unravel this radical self-love for, my, for myself. And I think this has actually been such like the secret sauce to my success was receiving coaching because, and because before I think it was easy to write down goals, but it's hard to stick to them, you know? And whereas like when you have someone who's like, oh, you know, how, how is that, how is that step been in building your business? And it's, you know, not to judge you or not to scold you for not doing that step, but to kind of reframe what's going on in your mind from achieving what you want. And again, this relates to fear so much again, but just with the right support, accountability and system, it's been, it's amazing what, what changes and differences mm. having a life coach can, can achieve. Yeah, it's kind of as simple as like if a person is receiving some tender loving care, <laughs> I mean, that person will be completely different. So what you do is obviously it's, it's a lot more advanced and a lot more complicated than that. But then I feel like you're also kind of like giving your clients TLC that they need. Everyone needs that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, since this episode is one of the International Women's Day special episodes and this year's IWD global theme is actually break the bias, I would like to shift the focus and talk about bias a little bit. Mm -hmm. So instead of going to our regular segment of rapid bias, I would like to use this time to tap Yinky's brain on how to cope with and heal from trauma caused by biases that we face in our daily lives. So Yinky, were there any moments where you also faced biases and how would you advise our listeners to really respond and cope with these situations? Yeah, yeah. Thank you for bringing that up. So important. And it's 
really amazing that this is the theme of this year's International Women's Day. And so I personally have experienced a lot of these biases, um, which are for me firstly naming what they are. A lot of these are microaggressions and what I think we're talking about are, you know, kind of like pinpointing things that seem irregular because of what you look like. So they, and they can come off as insults and indignities, but a lot of the times it seems really harmless, right? So say, take, why is your English so good? Um, you know, someone who might see me and might ask me that question is asking me that because of what I look like. They're asking me that because of what the shape of my eyes are like. They're asking me that because of the undertones of my skin. And truthfully, you know, it's, it is trauma because a lot of this, um, it presupposes that you are not, you don't look like someone who should have good English, if that makes sense. So I think for me, it's been really important to process these, to name them as microaggressions and to acknowledge what I'm feeling inside and um, to think of the implications of how to respond because I think this is really important for people of color, especially for Black, Indigenous and people of color um, to address these in a way that are redeeming but then at the same time to ask the questions, okay, if I respond, could this endanger my physical safety? If I respond, will the person who said that phrase become defensive? Um, how will this affect my relationship with this person? Um, you know, does... If I choose to say something or not, does that convey I accept that certain behavior or statement? Or the one that is most important to me is, well, I regret not saying something. And this definitely happens a lot. And this really prominent story, this very unfortunate story was when I was in California and I was with my mom in a shop and I think she was talking to the salesperson and there was like a bit of a misunderstanding and then so it was sorted but she left the shop but I was still like lingering around and then I heard that employee say oh my god what is Wong with her you know because he knew that our last name was Wong after registering and I was really young at that time I was I didn't really know I just kind of brushed it off but I think about that moment a lot. I think about that moment a lot because I didn't say anything. Um, I wish I had mm. because to say what is wrong with her, it's, you know, it's using my last name to assume that something is wrong, you know, and it's my whole culture. You know, when you say Wong, you're not just talking about me or my mom, you're talking about all of my elders who survived <laughs> horrible things, who were refugees, you know, who, uh, who did so many things to survive. 
And in this day, to have our last name reduced to something that is really insulting. And yeah, it just wasn't okay at that time. Um, and it isn't okay now, but I'm really grateful to you for giving the space to talk about it because this is the work and this is important. And to let, you know, listeners who have experienced this to know that we're not alone, mm -hmm. but also just hoping that, you know, we can bring more nuance and sensitivity and to understand that, okay, you know, what someone seemingly said of like, what is wrong with her is like a joke. It's funny. Haha. -ha, but it's not funny to me. You know, I'm like, mm. like even like so many years after that, I still think about it. And that definitely shakes my self-esteem. Um, so yeah, I think that it is important to, to address these and if you do want to say something which i applaud you you know i am in awe of you i think it would be important to say i statements um that has helped me a lot i think this is just generally really good advice even with people you're close with and with loved ones you know to really share with other people how their actions made you feel and to not judge them as as a, you know, not not to judge them as like, oh, they said this, so they're a bad person. It's like we, again, we are all born whole, but sometimes we say things or we do things that might not be as in alignment um, because of whatever reason. But so it would be really helpful to say, you know, when this phrase was said, or in my case, you know, when you said what is wrong with her, I felt really hurt because, and I would say, you know, this isn't just my last name. This is ancestors. This is my culture, you know, and like understanding like the beauty of what Wong means. And for me, it's um, the, the Wong and ye um, the yellow Chinese, like, and uh, Huang. And, you know, it's like, oh, it signifies like, the the yellow river and china and like how there's so much history and you know it's just it's just so it's so layered and so hopefully this phrase of like you know when when this was said i felt can be really helpful for people who are open to addressing yeah, I definitely think this is a very important topic um, to discuss. And so I really appreciate that you are trying to give our listeners some tips in terms of how to respond or even cope with these situations afterwards. Because a lot of the times there are two layers in terms of addressing bias. The first one is acknowledging that everyone is biased, acknowledging the fact that we deal with biases a lot. But the second part of it is exactly what you just mentioned. Like we need to think of ways to proactively respond or respond in a way that won't put us in danger and also communicate proactively to people who are contributing to the problem as for what exactly is wrong with their statements or their questions, which are very important. So thank you so much for bringing this up. And I hope that our listeners will be able to benefit from some of these tips. And I really do hope 
that the world would become a lot more bias-free eventually, because definitely for Asian people, I, I would say it's kind of like generational and also collective trauma mm. that we have to deal with racism and bias on a daily basis. And there are people who actually think Asian people are born to having to deal with these. But no, we are all just um, equals. We are all born human and no one actually deserves being treated this way or being subjected to microaggression. So mm -hmm. this is exactly the point that I would like to point out throughout this IWD um, special series throughout the month. Finally, as we move on to almost the conclusion of the conversation, Yinki, what does it mean to be proudly Cantonese? For me, it is just firstly loving myself and my culture, which is something that, you know, just going off of the microaggressions and the racism that I think a lot of Asians have experienced. I definitely had this, you know, the bluest eye kind of experience, like what Toni Morrison writes, and that I wish that I weren't Asian. I wish that I weren't Cantonese. But the older that I get, the more I am actually really in love with this culture, really embracing the knowledge and wisdom passed on by our ancestors and connecting with healed ancestors. So, you know, maybe we might not know them, but to know that we have come this far and that there's so much, so, so many hopes and dreams in our existence. You know, I think that's something that's pretty amazing to think about, that there is so much survival, you know, there's so much um, success you know, in, in making sure that we are here today. So I really love that. And it just starts with practicing things that are innate to our own culture, even starting with food. Um, you know, one thing is that my mom never really cooked, but I started to pick it up and I'm passing it on to my cousin's kids and we cook together. And I think that's such a beautiful thing that we're so young but we are actually passing down these recipes and this knowledge um, and to just be aware and be honest about our intergenerational trauma. And I think a lot of us as millennials and also Gen Z are more, we're talking about this because I think we're the ones who are listening more we're the ones who are deciding this ends with us you know the ways that also have not been benefiting us and our parents they need to stop and you know we want progress right like we don't we don't want to stay stagnant and so i think just being yeah honest and aware about the intergenerational traumas the internalized racism that we have within us and to want to heal these authentically so that we don't pass them down to our own children and our further generations. And yeah, for me, you know, just practicing traditions in our own cultures, starting to go to the temples more, starting to read in Chinese more. I know I'm really guilty of this. I don't read enough in Chinese. Same. Same. <laughs> it's just... <laughs> <laughs> it's just so much easier to read in English, but, you know, just making making the effort 
And yeah, just I I I love you know especially maybe not being able to, uh, or like having lived outside of Hong Kong, it um there were moments when I wasn't able to celebrate Lunar New Year, and now I go really all out, you know, because it's really amazing also to be in Hong Kong and celebrate this. Whereas when you're in the West, maybe you get you know you just go for a dinner. Maybe there's a lion dance, and that's kind of it. <laughs> mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true, and yeah. it's it's beautiful. Um, what you just said, what you just unpacked in terms of the meaning of being Cantonese Chinese, because I love particularly how you mentioned for millennials and Gen Z, these are the generations that bear the critical responsibility of resolving these intergenerational trauma. It's down to us to educate people what kind of trauma that our ancestors went through and Mm. it's down to us to break that or or just resolve that trauma so a lot to be done by you and me but I'm up for it yeah 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 yeah. thank you for for that thank you for being up for it and thank you for being so encouraging as well it's yeah I think this is you know what I've just been just thinking about a lot these days is that yeah healing it's not easy but it's so rewarding yeah and you learn so much about yourself. Um, just, and I think what I mean by healing is, you know, going over these beliefs that you previously thought you, you know, that, that are holding you back or things that your parents are saying that, you know, not to defy them, but to like have a double take and be like, Oh, is that moral? Is that right? Like just because they do it and they've been doing it for so long, does it mean that I should too? Mm. Um, And then holding space for your own emotions, right? Like I think, again, we're taught to not cry or we're taught to just suppress. Like I think we're Chinese people are so good at suppressing our emotions, you know? (laughs) Like it's so much about face. It's so much about, you know, um not not revealing right but then it's like you know what well like is is this true like is this how it has to be you know um and for me I've decided like it's not and I'm really grateful that like the relationship that my partner and I have we are really honest about these things and we hold space for each other when times get tough and you know instead of like my kind of parents way of usually doing it is like, you know, don't mention it, pretend it didn't happen. Like we give space. And <laughs> I think a lot of, yeah, a lot of listeners are like, oh, that is too true. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, for us to do the work, I think that's, that's the most important. Beautiful. And Yinki, finally, I know that you have very kindly prepared some gifts for our proudly Asian listeners. Yes. So could you tell us about what they are and what, what is it that you decided to share with our listeners and how can they find you? Yes, amazing. So in addition to this beautiful uh, sound healing and meditation that I've included, I would love to offer the first eight people who sign up to this for a complimentary one-hour coaching session. And this would be helping to uncover what has been holding you back, to receive support and accountability on certain goals that you want to establish, and also to cultivate authentic self-love 
so that you can step into the vision of who you want to be. You can find me on Instagram at yinki, Y-I-N-K-I underscore wellness, or on my website, which is Y-I-N hyphen K-I dot com, or through email, which is connect, so C-O-N-N-E-C-T at yin hyphen ki, K-I dot com. Great. Thank you, Yinky. And today we're going to end the episode with this beautiful, de-stressing sound healing session prepared by Yinky. Enjoy, everyone. Relieving stress from the day, meditation, and crystal singing bowl sound healing session. I invite you to completely lie down on a surface for the session, either lying down on a mat or a sofa or the bed, allowing the whole body to lie down completely Rolling the shoulders up, back, and down. Closing the eyes. And bring your awareness to your breath. Inhale. For one, two, three, four. Hold for one, two, three, four. And exhale for one, two, three, four. Inhale for one, two, three, four. Hold. For one, two, three, four, and exhale for one, two, three, four. Visualize your belly like a balloon filling up, up and up. When you pause, visualize the balloon in a round shape. And when you exhale, completely let go and release. Releasing all the tension stored up inside the balloon. When we experience stress, it is often a sign that our body is reacting to a certain challenge or demand. Can you identify what challenge or demand you might be facing right now? 
can you identify where you might be feeling it in the body? Are they thoughts circling in and around the mind? Or do you feel the certain tension arising in a certain body part? From a scale of 1 to 10, I invite you to rate how the stress is feeling with 1 being minimal stress and 10 being a heavy and shrouding type of stress. When we're able to identify what is coming up in the body, we're able to invite a sense of detachment through our acknowledgement and awareness. And perhaps you might be feeling the tension arising in your body or your mind right now. And just know that this is completely normal is right now you are processing and becoming aware of where the stress is sitting and by doing so you are regulating your autonomic nervous system perhaps the sympathetic nervous system might be in overdrive and the system activates our flight or fight response but it's so understandable as you've been so overworked you've been pulled in all different directions and it is so natural that you feel this way But you don't have to stay here. Returning our focus to our breath. Inhaling for one, two, three, four. Holding for one, two, three, four. And exhaling for one, two, three, four. When breathing in, visualize a pure and clean, positive white light that is entering through your nostrils, down through the throat through the lungs and into the belly and as you exhale release all the stuck energy release all the tension and the stress from the day breathing in breathing out to release for yourself 
you are enabling your parasympathetic system to rest and digest, to balance, to heal and restore. Give yourself permission to let go and release even further. Sometimes we accumulate energy that doesn't serve us, whether it be from other people, from a certain environment. Or maybe from a specific circumstance. And instead of holding on to these energies and stressors, we breathe deeper into our bodies and we exhale even deeper, letting go, letting go, letting go. you to give yourself permission to fully release, letting go of what you don't need, visualizing this energy leaving your body rising up into the sky, through the clouds, sending it far, far away, out of the earth, into the darkness, the void of the universe. Trusting that the universe has your back. With every effort that we make to release, sees our efforts and helps us to shed anything that doesn't serve us, allowing this energy to become transmuted.
when we make space, we can invite nourishment 